Okay, so I have probably listened to this episode at least, at least five times already. Oh, it's so good. There are so many nuggets of knowledge packed within the 40-something minutes that I had with life coach and psychotherapist Sarah Elliott. Am I excited for you guys to hear this one? Oh my gosh, yes, yes. Why? Because I feel like Sarah has gifted us a free introductory therapy session. Thank you, Sarah. As you know, Flourish, for me, has always been about personal growth and development. It's no secret that I started this journey out of pure curiosity with the hope that it would not only maybe ignite a fire within you, but it would also be a space where we could flourish together. I've always wanted this space to be a place where we could come to learn something new about the world, but also ourselves, which is why I think the topics we discussed today are so important confidence. Where does it come from and how do we cultivate it? Identity. How do I get to understand myself a little bit better? Who am I? Where am I going? Trauma. Yeah, we're diving deep and we're going to ask ourselves some uncomfortable questions along the way, but I'm so here for it. And I'm so glad that you guys are too. Truthfully, I don't really have much else to say guys, because Sarah says it so brilliantly and she's so eloquent and she's so, oh, she's just, she's amazing. So I'm not even going to take up any more space or any more time here. Let's just dive right in. So Sarah, here we are. Hi. Hi. (laughs) It's so nice to have you here. Thank you so much for, for coming on and being a part of Flourish. Cause I think that this top, this conversation, this topic is, is so important. It's Mm -hmm. so important. So thank you. So can you tell us a little bit about, for everyone who's listening, your qualifications and professional credentials? Sure. Well, I guess first and foremost, Canadian, holla, represent. (laughs) Represent. (laughs) Just add that in there. Absolutely. Um, I am accredited by the International Coaching Federation. So for me, coaching is an unregulated industry, but it was really important for me to be certified and do the right education behind it. Mm-hmm. And I'm now completing my master's in psychotherapy and counseling. Woo. Yes. Girl, this is great. Very and expensive pieces of paper, but they are, but <laughs> worth it. <laughs> so worth it. So worth it. Well, good. I mean, amazing. So psychotherapy, what mm-hmm. is it? I mean, it's, it's a therapeutic space. It's about, I, I think it's about really addressing trauma, mm-hmm. um, which can sound dark and scary and stormy, but it's really helping people heal from experiences that have impacted them. Yeah. In whatever way, whatever point, yeah. I guess, is it like trying to uncover under thing? Like, is it, is it things we bury? I think there's a lot of, everyone's talking about trauma, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, what is that? Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a big question. And I think it's, it's, very misunderstood, this Mm. word trauma. It has a lot of misconception and it really just is anything that has had an impact on you. Okay. And I guess where I see psychotherapy being a really helpful resource for people is that we're great at coping. Okay. We're great at having an experience that we can probably identify in the moment as being traumatic or noticing that this is going to impact me. But the body, the mind are resilient and it just goes into coping mode. Yeah. And often we know, we feel the pain in the moment, but it's not until months, years, decades later Mm. that the body starts to put its hand up. The mind starts to put its hand up and say, we need help. We need to acknowledge what happened. And that's where the therapeutic space just offers 
really a supportive, unbiased, hopefully supportive um, conversation around that. So you can be held in a way that you might not have been held in the moment. Mm. And when people come to you, do they necessarily know? Like, do, I think the thing is, is people think like, but do I have trauma? Do I need to come and, and, and have this conversation? Or do I have to have the answers? Or do you help them navigate and find kind of maybe what's below the surface or maybe what isn't, that maybe what's been buried. Like, is that, am I making sense of this? Yes, you are. <laughs> okay. and I, I really was thinking about before we, we came on today mm-hmm. about what I wanted people to come away with. And it yeah. is this clarity of what is a therapeutic conversation versus a coaching question. And because I can offer both, I think it really leads to allowing people to uncover what it is that they're longing for, what is it that they're searching for. And, and people know themselves best. They know when things feel off. They know when they're not feeling fulfilled. They know when they're not feeling at their healthiest. Yeah. And I have a lot of clients who come to me and they either don't know what they want, but they know that where they're at is not working. Right. They're, they're unsettled. They're not feeling aligned. So we can start with what they think what is that feeling what do they you know something's off but for me it's so much more intuitive it's all about how you want to be feeling less about what you want in your outside world what you want the job to look like your partner to look like your life to look like it all comes from within what is it that you want to be feeling most days Mm. and what happens then is we uncover that there's a lot that's probably blocking that Mm. and you really and you work with people to kind of yeah, I guess build from that or get work through that and, and I guess grow, right? Mm. So what led you to choosing a career as a life coach? Mm. I was at a point in my life, probably about 10 years ago now, which yeah. is crazy to say. God. <laughs> Where the time goes. <laughs> I know. Um, and I was feeling everything I just described. I just felt misaligned. I felt, uh, I guess lost is one way to describe it. I felt I had a lot of the things in my life right. that... I, I thought I wanted, I had a good job, I had friends, I was able to travel, you know, it was... It was you it ticked was all those boxes. Ticked the boxes, yeah. but there was just this emptiness, I guess, within myself. And it had to do with the relationship I had with myself. And that's another, I think, misconception that people don't necessarily search for mm-hmm. is it's really about healing your relationship with yourself. Mm. And that's the person that you're going to spend the most time with in your whole life. Totally. And that can be that can be difficult to, to go, to go there deep and to, and to look within because sometimes that can be painful. I imagine. Right. Yes. Uh, I know that it yes. is because I've done it myself. <laughs> like I imagine, I know. Yeah. So, and I always say it is going to be hard. It is going to be difficult. I remember saying that to myself in my, in my early twenties when I decided to commit to doing the inner work, but I thought it being hard is not a good enough excuse not to do it. Mm. Knowing it's going to be a long journey is not a good enough excuse not to do it. Yeah. And I loved myself enough in the moment to Amen. say, invest in this, do this hard work. It will, yeah. it will work out. But yeah. I had to almost treat it like not a job in the sense, but it was really a commitment. And so I did source out a therapist at the time. Yep. I then switched into hiring a coach once I felt like a lot of the inner healing had been okay. to a point where I felt less triggered in my life. 
you know, we say in psychotherapy, the work is never done. Yeah, no. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <Yes. laughs> but I did reach a point with my therapy journey, working with my therapist, where I felt more grounded. I felt um, more whole, more healed. And mm. so I hired a coach. And I just had this very simple moment one day working with my coach. I remember I was sat in a cafe in London. And after the call, I hung up and I thought, I, I felt quite peaceful after. Okay. I, I just remember feeling really calm. Mm. And I thought, oh my gosh, if I could facilitate and be on the other side of this mm. conversation and have someone else feel even a, a portion of what I feel right now, that to me would be fulfillment. That would really light me up, being a part of someone's journey, being beside them, helping facilitate the right questions or the appropriate holding that they need. I just thought, gosh, yeah. that, that's what I've been searching for. I want to help people. Yeah. And I'd helped myself first. That's important. That was so important. <laughs> yeah. I think I always knew I wanted to help people and I'd taken quite a traditional route um, going into the business world. But I always had this like longing to help, but I needed to help myself first. Yeah. You got to love yourself before you can love or help anybody else. Isn't that true? Yeah. And it's still a work in progress. Yeah. But it, it did. It then led me to qualifying as a coach. Mm-hmm. I then worked as a coach for two years, created my business, Vault. And wow. I found the conversations were, were le- I and perhaps it was more my driven, I felt very interested in the why and, and where you've come from. And, and coaching is very helpful, but yeah. it's much more the so what, much more where are we going, what are we going to do, those types of yeah. um that sort of space. And I just felt like I was a referring a lot of my clients to therapy yeah. and I felt myself more interested. So now being able to hold, hold both those questions, I feel the two really serve people to do the deep inner healing as well as the, okay, I'm feeling, I'm feeling yeah. good. Let's, let's figure out what next. Yeah. So with that, what is the difference between a life coach and therapy? Yeah. I mean, without going into like the massive, yeah. like, <laughs> rabbit hole. Um, yes. But because I could go on a tangent about this, but it really is the type of question. Okay. The type of question in therapy is really why, where's this come from? How does, how does what you're feeling now, what does it remind you of? So it really is more reflective, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean we can't have a conversation about the here and now, because that is often why people are in therapy. They're currently facing turmoil within themselves misalignment in their relationships. So they come with an immediate need, but the dialogue is much more reflective and, and bringing in those like parallels of what you have been through and what you're currently going through. Right. Coaching and the type of coaching I do, because there's many different types of coaching out there is much more about where are you trying to get to? What steps do we need to put in place? How, what do you need? Mm. What do you need now to get there? Mm-hmm. So you see, it's just more like the time space is different. And is, is it kind of like accountability as well? Like, do you hold people accountable or how does that? Yeah, I have a really funny relationship with that word. Yeah. I don't know why. I probably okay. need to do some some work with, <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> with my supervisor on this. Yeah. The word accountability to me feels, again, this is my personal perspective, yeah. feels harsh in a way. It feels very kind of tell off. Like I'm here, therefore you need to be here. But I do hear from clients that having the space carved out the Mm. one hour a week, the one hour every two weeks that holds them accountable. Maybe to me, it's more commitment. It allows them to feel committed to something, to a person, 
Yes. Oftentimes having a therapist or having a coach is just that sense of relief of someone's got my back. Someone is here to hold me, help me. We're not giving advice. So again, spoiler alert number two, (laughs) we're not giving advice. You know yourself best. The client knows themselves themselves best. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So it, it really... It can really just look differently. Yeah, for every single, yeah. Yeah. And I guess just sometimes people, it's nice to have someone to be, like you said, you hold space, but to be heard, Mm -hmm. right? To be like, I'm going to share these big dreams or these big aspirations with somebody who can help me and guide me um, to where I want to be and how how I'm going to get there. Am I I kind of hitting the mark? You're absolutely hitting the right mark. The, The surprising thing to me in both fields is exactly that being listened to, but it's also quietening the noise that people have in their life, whether that's literal noise. Like I live in London. It's a very busy city. It is loud. There's constant distractions and stimulation. And I find therapy can offer just that quietness. Yeah. And then it is just being able to sit and see what comes up, not having the answer. I really encourage clients to sit with not knowing. Mm, and that's really that's difficult. It's really, it's big. It's, yeah. it's something that we're not given the chance to do because we're preconditioned to have the answer. Someone asks you how you're doing. I'm good. I'm busy. Autopilot. Good, Autopilot. Right? It is. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's have an answer. Know where you're going. What's your five-year plan? What's mm. new? We're, we're just, we're preconditioned to have the answer. And what I like to offer in my space is let's, Let's just sit with it. Mm. Let's not have the right answer right now. Let's just like, we do a lot of meditation in my practice, mm. which we're not trying to become monks. Like we're no. not, but I just do believe that mindfulness is around quieting the noise, people's opinions, yeah. right? Can really cloud our judgment and you know yourself best. Yeah. And I think all of those things, like you just said, it can, it can, that can really knock our confidence as well. Right. And I really want to talk about confidence because mm. Where does it come from and how, how do we cultivate it? How do we? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you? <laughs> I have been fascinated by confidence mm. for, I guess, for since I even was a client in this field mm-hmm. because I think that's what I was lacking. Yeah. On the outside, people can be extroverted. They can be social. They can appear to quote unquote, have their shit together. Yeah. But to me, it's, it's quite an inner experience confidence. Mm. It's how secure you're feeling within yourself and the decisions you're making, regardless of how that then manifests itself externally. Yeah. Um, cause I think confidence is quiet. Oh, say it again. Confidence is quiet. Yes. I think it is because, you know, when I, when I've met the most in my, you know, in my own opinions or in the way I feel when someone's confident, they don't need to be the loudest person in the room. They don't need to be seen as like, I am confident, this bravado. It's like, no, you can be, I think confidence is quiet. Mm-hmm. I just, I heard that once and I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that, that really spoke to mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. you know, because the people that I look up to and I'm like, that I feel are confident within themselves and they know who they are in their bones. I'm like, they don't need to say much. Right. Because they're, they're not doing it for the external validation. It's coming from a place of internal mm. motivation. They they don't feel... I know for myself, if I am not posting much on social media, it is usually because I'm in a, 
a really good place. Yes. Now, that might be quite a broad sweeping statement, but I just know for myself, if I look back at other times when I was searching yeah. social validation or external acceptance, yep. I was putting a lot out there because mm. it was like you're grasping for straw. I was grasping for straws because I didn't have the internal capability or knowledge yet of how mm. to self-soothe myself. Yeah. And that to me is where confidence comes from. It's the ability to self-regulate. Mm. It's the ability to say, I'm triggered right now. I'm I'm angry right now. I'm yeah. um, I'm stressed. I'm anxious. Let me bring myself back. Yeah. I can bring myself back. It's like the little voice inside you that that just knows you, that knows yeah. what you need, that knows when you need a break. Mm. And to me, confidence is just being able to listen to that voice. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you don't lean on your support system. It doesn't mean you don't then take advice or other people's opinions mm-hmm. um, on board. But it's really knowing that like you're number one. And yeah. again, I come back to the relationship you have with yourself is the one that you spend the most time with. Yeah. And how do you help clients build and maintain that? So I do a lot of work that's called interfamily systems. It's a it's a whole modality of therapy. So some therapists specialize only in IFS therapy, but and what is we IFS? Interfamily are, systems. Inter, okay, got you. Interfamily yes. systems therapy. Okay, and it basically comes from this concept that we have multiple parts of ourselves. Mm. And some people might be more aware of this. These voices that I have, you know, some people, I, I know I, I talk to myself in my oh, head. God, I think I do it out loud. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Great. Perfect. So you're very in touch with it, which yeah. I love. And what I love to bring out in both coaching and therapy, because this, this concept can be really, really helpful for people, is to start to name and articulate what are those voices? What are they saying? What's their message? What's their intent Mm, as well yeah because we talk a lot about inner critic and self-development sorry people know what that means the person that inside of us kind of braids us kind of makes us feel like shit tells us we're not good enough yep we have so many other voices Mm. and to me confidence comes from one of those voices I truly believe everyone is born with it yeah it just gets shaped or hidden or molded because of society maybe how you're brought up it just it starts to f- be altered. But right. I truly believe everyone already has it within them. Yeah. It's probably just blocked by those other voices. Yeah. So the work we do is A, uncovering. I love to give personalities to them too. Like this work can be heavy, but I like to try to make it fun and creative when possible and when appropriate. So if we, if we put names to it, if we put a little personality to it, mm-hmm. we have to find who is the confident part of you. What does she or he sound like what would their voice tell you in those moments of doubt yeah and then you dialogue back that's my my biggest tool that I give people is when you're feeling doubtful of yourself you're you're uncertain of what access that confident voice and have a dialogue back almost like two children in a playground yeah right one's your inner bully that's saying you know all the nice things yeah respond yeah respond yeah, and have a conversation. Have a conversation. Yeah. And it might sound silly. It might sound like I am then asking you to talk to yourself, but <laughs> all this stuff happens very quickly, right? And yeah. that to me is how you develop confidence. It's mm. identifying with a voice, a language that suits you. Mm-hmm. Create it within your own wording. Yeah. Like the like the way I speak to myself in a confident way is going to sound very different to you. So yeah. it has to feel right. Yeah. And then have that, yeah, conversation. Mm, a lot of internal stuff. Mm-hmm. All of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Sarah, I've had a lot of conversations with clients and friends and family members over the years. I think, you know, it just seems to be that there's a very common theme and that theme is identity. Okay. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are feeling really lost and at a crossroads and they're really struggling to be honest, like, and, and I feel like they have this sense of they don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. They thought they did. They ticked all those boxes. And now they're at this place where like, okay, I'm married. I have the 2.5 kids. I've got the house. I've got the mortgage. Who the fuck am I? Because mm-hmm. I don't know who I am. I've ticked all the boxes and I'm still not happy. Mm-hmm. How do you work with people to encourage them to continue to explore reclaiming their sense of self? That's a big question. I know. I know. I'm sitting. I'm so. Where do we want to go with this? <laughs> we have to let go to let in. Ooh, say that one again. We have to let go to let in. Surrender. Surrender. What once was working well, maybe all those things did make you happy at one point. It's not working now, and that's okay. And that's okay. And again, in a therapeutic space, we could talk about, were those ever really that important to you? Mm. Where did they come from? Wow. In a coaching space, we could say, okay, so what is important to you now? Let's identify that. And it comes to your value system. Mm. It really is. Value systems are what are most important to you. Right. Connection, loyalty, Mm. honesty. There's so many different words. Yeah. And you have to find words that really resonate with you. But they're the things you stand for. If you were to have a mission statement about yourself, it's sort of the words that would be a part of that. Yeah. And when I say let go to let in, it's because we are we are seasonal people. And I think we forget that. I think we get really attached to what what worked last season, last year, during my 20s, in my teenage. And we have to be willing to move past let that go to rebuild. Yeah, like we hold on to that identity of ourselves that yeah. once was, right? Yes. And so the people that you're referring to, yeah. I know myself, I will include myself. I've been in chapters where I feel that lostness, that I don't feel in touch with what's important to me right now. Mm. Um, and we really just have to rebuild from what's important to you now. Mm. What do you stand for? What are your principles for living? Right now. And w- right now. The second thing I would say around identity is it is rocky. It is, it is um, uncomfortable. It's challenging. It's hard when we don't feel that grounding, that sense of self. Mm. And what I see often happening is people don't like to be in that struggle. Right? We don't. The, no. body, the body doesn't respond well to it. You'll see people developing IBS, migraines, There's so many different symptoms where the body is not sitting well with the uncertainty. Mm. But going back to having this dialogue with myself, with ourselves, Mm -hmm. that's saying, this is okay. Mm. I'm I'm okay. I'm safe. I might not feel at my best right now. But it's having that dialogue to reassure yourself you're doing the right work to get through it. It's not permanent. No. So if you're listening to this and you're feeling like you are in that rut, you're in that lost space... The only role you need to play right now is really holding yourself and saying, this is okay. I'm okay. I'm going to work through this. What do I need to put in my life? Do I need to hire a coach? Do I need to go to therapy? Do I need to read a book? What do I need to put in place to get me through this, Mm. knowing it's going to get better? And it's different for everybody, isn't it? Mm -hmm. 
That's, Mm -hmm. I I hear it so much. People, you know, whether they're like clients who they've taken a couple years off to raise their children and they come back and they're like, I don't love the job I'm doing anymore. Right. And I realized that that was a massive part of my identity and being a mother was a massive part of my identity. And now they maybe are transitioning into something else and they don't know who they are. And it's, it's a struggle, right? Mm-hmm. It's a struggle. And I, and I just, this is why I think this conversation is so important because I want people to know that they're not alone, mm-hmm. that they're not like, you know, we, we all have our own shit that we're dealing with. You know what <laughs> yes, I mean? Yes, we do. And we're all just, it's, I, I always think of this too. Like we're like beautiful swans up, the, up on top. We're like beautiful, elegant and underneath we're fucking paddling to stay afloat, right? right? And it is. And it's it is so true. Yeah. And I think social media makes it harder too, because people look at social media and think, oh my God, they've got their shit together. And oh my God, they're, they're so successful. And oh my gosh, but that's like a inkling and it's not even freaking real, you know, but it's really affecting a lot of people's mental health and, and, and also their own identity with what they feel like they should be achieving and what they're not achieving. And I mean, you, do you hear a lot about like, do people compare them? I mean, comparing ourselves is the worst thing we can do. It's the biggest form of self-sabotage. Mm. it's very relate. It's very intimately related with inspiration. So if you're looking at people as a, as a way to make yourself feel bad, that's toxic, right? You then mm. need to reevaluate who you're spending your time with, what you're, how much social media, how much time are you engaging on these platforms that are going, that are clearly triggering you. Yeah. Very closely related though is inspiration. It's people that you do admire that don't trigger you in the same way. Yes. So I'm not someone who practices not being triggered. You know, we're human. We are going to meet people that bring stuff up for us yeah. and that there are just not going to be our people. Yeah. And that's fine. We set those boundaries. Yeah. But it is about finding people that you do admire, that you're drawn to and asking yourself, what is it about them that I might not have now in great quantity, mm-hmm. but it's telling yourself, I do have maybe something similar, hence why you're connected to them. Yeah. There's something that you already possess that they do. Otherwise you wouldn't feel drawn to them. Yeah. So you're already putting yourself kind of in, in the same camp as them. Yeah. So I do think it's important to still have people you look up to or that you are, I don't like the word benchmark, but do you see the, like the very subtle difference between mm-hmm. I'm going to self-sabotage by just comparing myself to yeah. all the other people and what yeah. they have making myself feel like shit. Yeah. And that's, that's what it is. It's, it's not healthy, but we need to be aware of that and really acknowledge the toxicity of it. Yeah. And then find people surround yourself. It doesn't have to be a lot of people either. No, it's probably people you already have in your life mm-hmm. and have a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. How, ask them, how did you get that way? Yeah. How, how are you so good at public speaking? I've always want, you know, ask those questions. You always seem to have your, your shit together. You're really calm. Yeah. Ask them. They'll, they'll more than likely share. Yeah. Oh, I practice this. I, I set healthy boundaries. I make sure I take time off. Like the, these are, they're probably operating in a way they just have healthy habits. Yes. And therefore, carry those over in your life. There's yeah. nothing wrong with a little copycat. Absolutely. And I love, I think that's the best thing is having these kind of conversations with people. That's how we all learn, right? That's how, and I, I you know, when people say to me, oh, I don't like social media. And I look at, I get that there's times where it's just, it can be a toxic space. And if you're not in the right, you know, mindset, it can not be a great place. But I genuinely, if anything ever makes me feel less than I, less about myself, I get rid of it. Yeah. You know, like it doesn't have to be there. You can, you can 
get rid, move on, you know? Let go to let in. Let go to let in. Exactly. And all the things that I follow make me happy. They inspire me. I feel empowered. I want to learn. I want to grow. And that's what I, I'm always telling people. Like, if that makes you feel like shit, get rid of it. Mm. If you're comparing yourself to that person, get rid of it. You know, it shouldn't make you feel angry, um, jealous, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. But again, like you said, if something's tricking you, it's like, okay, what do I need to work on within myself that makes me feel that way? Like, what's deep down? That's what I ask myself. Why right. am I feeling? Why did that? Mm, that was ugly, Trish. Right. Why did, what do I need to work on myself? Right. I journal a lot, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's, I think my way of coping and dealing and, and I guess evaluating and trying to navigate my way through what I'm going through. Cause I'm so sorry. Go on. Well, it's so healthy to journal, to write and not in full sentences, not to become an author, but we call it containment in therapy. Cause if you really think about it, our minds are creative, they're yes. imaginative it's a muscle. It's yes. meant to go in many different directions. Yes. When we contain our thoughts on page, we're able to see them more objectively because they're not within ourselves anymore. They're not, we're not identifying with them anymore. Yeah. They're on the page. So you then have a literal bird's eye view <laughs> yes. of the things that you're saying. Yeah. The things you're contemplating. The, if you're stuck late at night, you can't sleep. You're asking yourself, write them down. Yeah. Write them down and revisit them. The next day, even if you're not rested, you don't have to be rested or in a good place to do this work. But putting things on page can really help you then approach things in a in a less emotive way. Yeah. I just find it. I genuinely can feel the weight coming mm-hmm. off my shoulders when I write. And I will write and read it back that same night to see how it feels. And I sit with it. And if it's still, if I find it still upsetting, I revisit it the next night. And it sounds sadistic, I know, but I, it's almost like I'm self-torturing myself, like I was torturing myself, but I need to work through it. Cause I, I think for me, that's how I've always dealt with it. Like Mm -hmm. that's been my, my form of therapy, Mm -hmm. writing it down. And I'm so glad that I was given a journal by my parents at the age of like, I don't know, five. And when I look back, I mean, there's nothing that makes sense about it. It's just... That's my brain, you know? Yeah, brain dump. But thank God I have that because yeah. like, you know, it's it's definitely what gets me through. And going back to these, the interfamily systems therapy and understanding the different parts of ourselves, mm-hmm. often when we're brain dumping on a page, it's coming from one aspect of ourselves. It's clear, either the inner critic, it's, it's probably our inner child as well, mm-hmm. like that smaller part of ourselves that needs a lot of love. So when you're looking at those words on a page... Oftentimes it can then be helpful on either the next page or right beside it. You access the language that would dialogue back from an adult, a compassionate voice. Yeah. Right? And then you're giving that, those words, Mm. less power. Mm -hmm. Those words aren't necessarily even the truth. So I really like when people write things down and then like have the dialogue, right? Right back to it. Yeah. It's true. And it can be uncomfortable, but it's your own, it's yourself. You have to feel, I don't know, uncomfortable is, I, I kind of like feeling uncomfortable if that makes sense mm-hmm. because. Keeps us young. Yeah. yeah it <laughs> keeps, keeps me on my toes. <laughs> um, I've talked before in previous episodes about imposter syndrome. Mm. 
Um, and how I have, we all have, you know, suffered oh, with yeah. it or do. And, you know, there's new things I'm doing all the time where I feel like I'm not welcome here and I'm nervous and, you know, that's where we grow. Um, but what are some of the ways that people can deal with the feeling of inadequacy and imposter syndrome? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's quite a buzzword I in know. the market now, yeah. imposter syndrome. To explain it for anyone who's listening, if you've heard it and, and you want a deeper understanding of it, it's really our inner critic that's trying to protect us. We have to think about the ways in which we behave. They come from good intent. Mm -hmm. So when you're embodying an imposter syndrome, the voice is probably saying something along the of, you're not good enough. You're not qualified for this. How dare you? How dare you mm. think that you Who could do Who do you think that? you are? Exactly. Yeah. So step one is identifying what your imposter who doesn't feel deserving, what are the words? What is the narrative that that voice is saying? And you'll find it's trying to protect you. Mm. There's, there's fear in there. There's fear around what if I was as great as I imagined? What if I did launch a podcast? <laughs> what if I yeah. started a business out, out of my comfort zone? And, and really it's having compassion for that voice and telling me I don't need protecting. Yeah, you've just flipped it on its head. Yeah. Because in my, like, you know, when I think about imposter syndrome, it's like, you know, you, you kind of made it in a positive there, but I've always kind of thought too, like when in my head, when it's like, but you can't do that. You know, it's not, it was like, I am protecting myself, but I guess in the same point, it's almost like, where the hell does that negative little bastard come from in my head that tells me that I can't do something? I actually find it as fuel because I'm like, watch me. Mm -hmm. I can do it and I will do it and mm -hmm. I will overcome that. Right. And I guess that's like, I don't know where that comes from either. Like, but how confident do you feel when you have that dialogue back then? Fuck yeah. I'm right? like, sorry, I keep swearing. I'm just feeling, I'm feeling. It's cathartic. No, <laughs> yeah. I'm all about the swearing. If it comes natural to it you, It comes say natural. It. Have you met my yeah. mother? <laughs> um, but no, it's, it's just, I don't know. I feel like that's empowering for me. I don't, it's like, it's like this inner battle I have with myself. And I, and I, I feel very proud when I've overcome that, you know? And I don't know, like I said, it, it's the fuel to my fire that I kind of, I need to mm -hmm. kind of catapult myself forward. I've talked mm -hmm. about before, like that, let my fear fuel me. It does. Yes. And the imposter side of it too, like I hate it at the same time, but I guess it's, it's necessary. Do we all have it? We all have it. It might sound different for all of us, okay. but I think it is this form of acceptance. If you're feeling you're in a stage in your life where imposter syndrome is taking up more space than it needs to yes, acknowledge and accept that that part of you has good intent. It is trying to protect you. What we want to see it is not take up so much airtime. We yeah. don't want that voice to ever necessarily go away because to your point, it might actually fuel you. Yeah. And it it serves a purpose. What we don't want is it being the only voice that's heard and you, and us treating it as the truth. Right. That's right. That's really big because it's not the truth. It's not the truth. It's it's an imaginative. Again, I come back to the brain is is full of imagination. It doesn't know. Our brain does not know the difference between what's real and what's fake. Now, I don't necessarily preach fake it till you make it, but we do need to sometimes take these voices with a grain of salt. Like, is that really true? Poke holes in it. Yeah. Yeah. Poke holes in it. Find facts that prove differently. And I sometimes, in a, in a more coaching setting, like to be a little more provocative with my clients and say, okay, so you think you're shit. Prove me wrong. Prove me, prove yourself wrong. Mm. But I want to hear all the arguments against that the facts. 
I have all my clients, if they receive a good message, um, positive feedback, just anything that makes them feel warm and fuzzy and recognize, save it, Mm. save it, print out the message, make it real, have a section of your inbox, love letters, call it something (gasps) where on those days that we are going to have, because we're human, where you're feeling as an imposter, you're feeling not good enough. That's when you have that folder. That's when you go. And that's not narcissistic. Absolutely not. <laughs> you know? Absolutely not. Because that's what I think people can also convince themselves. Like, oh my God, I'm, I've got that there because I, like, that's narcissistic. No, I have my own little file, like you've just said too, where someone sends a nice DM. It's like, sometimes we need that little. It's a microdose of dopamine. I'm all about the microdosing <laughs> of dopamine. Of dopamine. Of dopamine. <laughs> and it's, it's important. It's important yeah. for us to feel valued, acknowledged, celebrated from a very chemical place should we be doing it to ourselves as well? Like we're a part of that team. Yeah. Count yourself as a part of your circle. Yeah. And make sure you're still acknowledging yourself, how great you are, what you are doing well. Mm. We have a negativity bias. Okay. All of us primitively. We are, even if you want to call yourself a, I I would say I'm an optimist. I'd say you're pretty positive. Yeah. Most days. Most days. Most days. But in our brain, again, from a, a protective mechanism, we're, program to see the threat in things. Mm, Yeah. So we need to exercise more of these habits and tools that say, I'm good. I'm great. I've got it. Yeah. I'm not perfect, but perfect is manufactured. Yeah. Gosh, you're so good, Sarah. You're so good. Honestly, this is like, it's, it's refreshing. And I think so many people need to hear this because we all, even people say to me, how are you always so positive? Uh, Another spoiler alert, I'm not, right? And like you said, it's a muscle that needs constant, um, like, you know, when you're at the gym and you're pumping iron. It's exercise. It's exercise. It needs constant nourishment. And yeah, like you said, it doesn't ever end. Mm -hmm. It's constantly a work in progress. And I think there's a lot of stigma. Well, at least I feel like there has always been stigma around therapy, people going to therapy. Ooh, what's wrong with you? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but I feel like more and more lately people are talking a lot more. They're being more vulnerable, which thank God. Right. And I'm wondering, do you feel like people have shifted their approach into investing into themselves and they're not, there's not such so much of a stigma around having a life coach or a therapist? Do you think it's changed at all? I think we're moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the more people that speak up to what they've experienced through therapy, talking about the benefits, talking about what it unlocked for them, how they live differently. Like we just need more examples of people yeah. putting up their hand and saying, hey, this worked. I was at a concert Friday night. Yes. And the opener, yeah. before he played his first song, said, hey, thank he's American, yeah. And uh, Noah Kahn, look him up. Great music. Okay. (laughs) Um, Before he played his first song, he said, I just want to acknowledge to everyone that I've been in therapy for the last five years. Everyone go to therapy. And then just started playing the first song. And it was just, it was raw. It was a little abrupt is what I would say. Vulnerable as well. Yes. But I was so there for it. And I thought if he can do that, Mm. I mean, we just need more people to put up their hand and and say, I, this is working for me. Mm-hmm. It might not be for everyone. Hence why I think coaching developed. It's a different type of conversation. But right. as long as you're helping yourself, it doesn't have to even look like therapy or coaching. If you're doing your own self-work, reading books, 
getting to know yourself, yeah. taking yourself on dates, being able to sit with yourself. I mean, that's enough I love work. That. Yes. That's enough work. It, does, it doesn't have to look as formal yeah. or as structured as having a therapist or coach. So I think we're moving in the right direction. But I do find often, because I more call myself a coach than a therapist, and okay. I even find myself doing it because it's a bit more socially acceptable. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have a coach. It right. sounds more positive. sounds lighter. Some more sexier, approachable. More approachable, all those things. Yeah. But then more often than not, and my clients know my my qualifications, we we ebb and flow between both definitions. I find this often with my male clients. Yeah. They'll come because I'm a coach. They'll come, they'll hire me. Maybe they don't want to tell their friends that they're in a therapy. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. Right? That's your prerogative. I, I don't necessarily see us moving in a way where everyone is putting everything about themselves out in the open. Have some privacy about yourself. Have some boundaries. You don't have to share that. But ask yourself what it is about that that's holding you back. Yeah. Yeah. What advice would you give someone who's considering therapy for the first time? Try it. Try it. Simple. (laughs) Just try it. Try it. And give yourself some time. You have to feel a certain way with the person. Do you have to be their best friend? No. Do you need to feel held by them? Yes. Mm. Do you need to feel like over time you could really trust that person to hold all the things that you're about to perhaps say? Mm. So it might take some shopping around. I I say this often after a consult. I never put any of my potential clients on the spot to make a decision to work with me. I always say, and if this didn't feel right for whatever reason... I don't, I don't take it personally because it's so important that mm. if you are going to commit to this work, you find someone who works well with you. Yeah, that's important. I was having this conversation with somebody last night actually over dinner and it's like, how do you actually find someone that feels, that, that it just feels right? And I think that's where maybe people struggle trying to find the right person. And I think a lot of the times, like in anything, I go for a lot of, a lot of my recommendations come from word of mouth, Mm -hmm. right? And it's like, if you have a positive experience with something in whatever realm it is, whatever profession it is, like you said, try it, go for it, see what happens, see how it feels. If it feels good, continue. If it doesn't, that's okay. Yeah. And there's no shame in it, right? Yeah. I think the second thing I would say, if you're considering doing Mm -hmm. any inner work is, expect it to feel uncomfortable. Expect there to be moments where you do question, why am I doing this? If it's hard, do it hard. If you're tired, do it tired. If you're scared, do it scared. Because it will be worth it in the long run to invest in yourself, in mm. in getting to know yourself and having compassion for yourself. Dare I say self-love? <laughs> Dare, yes. Dare I? Yeah, it's big. This has been an amazing conversation and I feel like we could do this monthly and have different topics that we could talk about. And maybe we will, Ooh, maybe we will. I like where this is going. If you're open to it. <laughs> <laughs> but what do you, what's the biggest thing that you hope people take away from what we've just discussed? What is your hope? My hope is that no one ever feels ashamed for what they're going through. And shame is a big topic to address, particularly in therapy, But what I often see is the biggest barrier is people feeling scared to even say they need help. Mm. And that's what really holds them back is not accepting that they're having a human experience and it doesn't feel great and they don't want to be in it. I get that. But 
most likely everyone has felt something similar and there's nothing wrong with having a bump in the road. There's nothing wrong with going through a chapter in your life where you don't know what the fuck you're doing. It doesn't mean anything about yourself. It yeah. doesn't, it doesn't have to be permanent. It doesn't have to be mm. forever. It doesn't mean that you're less off or, or worse off um, to talk about it. Yeah. Talk yeah. about it, reach out. There's a lot of people in my profession that are so passionate about helping facilitate this dialogue. They're they're eager to help. Yeah. Well, this has been amazing, Sarah. Thank and I'm you. I'm so I'm gonna make me gonna get emotional. <laughs> so <laughs> full I'm circle. Just, I'm so grateful that you're in my life. Truly. And <laughs> I knew I was gonna cry. <laughs> I'm gonna try to hold it together I know. for well, one of us. <laughs> for, for for people who don't know this, Sarah and I have gosh, how long have we known each other? Oh, let's not age ourselves. No, let's, because I love aging. Let's. <laughs> young, young. Oh, I think, five? Were we, I think I was five. Yeah, we took piano lessons together, like when like we were- Small town, poor <laughs> Itty bitty, itty bitty <laughs> girls. And then we ended up, we we danced together. Oh, did we dance? We danced. We, we traveled with our dance, we too. Did. We did. International stars. <laughs> I know, like New York, Florida, Boston, baby. Oh, we did no. it all. And, you know, and then to, to see you, I mean, it is full circle, because where we're sitting right now is- believe it or not, Whitby Street, which we kind Ooh, of came from. Irony. Yeah. And and the first time that I actually, when you moved here to the UK, you were teaching at Cycle, which is right below us. And I cried the whole freaking time. I'm like, well, she's probably thinking, what, am I, is she in pain? No, she's fucking proud. And I'm so proud of you. And I'm so grateful you're in my life. And I'm so excited for everything that's to come for you. And um, yeah. Thank you so much for just being a good friend, a good human, and for always having such a beautiful aura and light. Oh, I'm just sitting with all of that. I love you. And thank you for creating this platform. I hope that if you're listening, you feel heard, related to, held. I mean, Trish, it's beyond impressive how you've created this. And I hope it serves you too, because you give so much to everybody else. This has been... Yeah, very, very warm. Very, very warm. Thank Thank you. you. I love you. Love ya. Flourish with Trish is an original podcast hosted by me, Trish. It's produced by my father, Richard Johnson, in his home studio in Ontario, Canada. And the music was composed by my incredibly talented brother, Mike Johnson. This truly is a family affair. (laughs) 